DJ and PK, it is time to talk jazz basketball with the radio voice of the Utah Jazz, David Locke. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line this morning. Sprint. <laughs> the computer sticks. All right, that's great. Sprint special guest line, David Locke is here, and I'll tell you all about that in a minute. Here it is. Get an iPhone 11 on Sprint when you activate a new line of service with a flex lease and eligible trade-in. Now through December 5, visit the Sprint store nearest you. David, good morning. Good morning. I'm going to open being a little thankful. Can I do that the day after Thanksgiving? Sure. Well, and nobody's awake yet unless they're, I mean, it's a black part, so really no one's going to hear me be nice to you, and so that's probably good too, right? No, actually, a lot of people listening, they've been out shopping for three hours or headed home now. Oh, my gosh. Um, these people are nuts. So I was boarding the, uh, going through a little security with our friend Craig Bullerjack um, yesterday, and we were talking about things, and we were just kind of laughing about uh, hog wallow days on Sunday nights after Sports Beat Sunday and you over at Channel 2 and all of us, and then we both kind of paused and realized that, you know, that was probably 25 years ago or something crazy of that nature. And just, so I am thankful for the wonderful kind of friendships of, of yourself and Craig and having people in my life uh, in this crazy media world that we've all been together for, you know, quarter of a century and done this for a long time together. Um, you know, P- PK fits into this mold, though Hogwallow, I don't think he regularly joined us um, for those those evenings, but I just thought it was kind of a, I don't know, it was kind of Bowler and I were just talking, and all of a sudden both of us kind of looked at each other and was like, holy smokes, that's been like 25 years, and just kind of a cool thing to have that, so thought I'd throw that out there. David Locke, Radio the Voice of the Jazz here. He is in Memphis for the Grizzlies and the Jazz. Uh, the way the schedule sets up, they really need a win. Uh, you mean because we're playing Toronto and Philadelphia next, who have like yeah. lost a combined zero games at home this year? That would be my point. I think they might have lost one. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, no, this is, you know, I didn't realize it until I saw things come up. You know, we've actually had one or two of the harder schedules in the NBA. It's a, it's been a weird, it doesn't feel like last year where it was just like, holy smokes, but this is this is a tough stretch, a team that, Hasn't really gelled yet, and playing four of the top eight defensive teams in a span of five games. So, yeah, no, certainly we we need to try to go get this one. Memphis is uh, particularly early in games played people very, very well. Uh, they're and they're not, you know, they're not terrible. They've got some pretty good players. They're the fourth best offensive team in the NBA in first quarters, the eleventh best team in first quarters, and they kind of slump as the game goes on. So, if you can kind of get on them early, I think you're all right. As you analyze this team, what do you find it, it is it its most pressing need? Oh, I mean, I think uh, without zeroing in on one person, which I think is a, is an unhealthy way to do it, I'm going to do that. I mean, I think Mike's got to play better, right? Um, you know, he's really had two good games against the Golden State Warriors and not much else. Um, he just can take, you know, hopefully he's all right. I mean, there's. You know, he is old, so you just get a little nervous. He's old and small, and so you get a little nervous in that regard. Um, but on the other end, I was looking at last night, um, trying to find a different way to tell his story about coming back here, and it's pretty incredible. So he and Marcus Gasol, over the last six years, ran 5,868 pick and rolls. Well, they've been together for 11, so they probably ran over 10,000 pick and rolls together. 
Um, they over the last six years they've run the second most amount of pick and rolls of any two players together. John Wall and Marcin Gortat were the only ones more. And then, you know, at the same time, they ran 821 handoffs where Gasol was giving the ball to Mark uh, to Mike uh, for six seasons. So you go stretch that out probably for their 11 years, probably fair without a lot of guests to say that that was probably somewhere around 1,500. So, I mean, these guys were close to 12,000 interplays between the two of them. And obviously adjusting out of that is difficult. Um, and they're, you know, there are some areas that I think he, where he's going to get more comfortable and get better. And then there's some areas where I think maybe he is a little limited just with his size and age. And so we'll have to figure out how to figure those things out. So that I would say, um, is number one. Number two is something that I've thought was going to be a problem for this team all year long, um, is just playing hard. Um, it's not that they're not playing hard, though. You know, in Indiana, I think Indiana played harder and made it more difficult for them. In Indiana, I think, you know, um, Indiana's beat us by 70 points in our last three meetings. It's pretty clear that there's something going on there where they play the similar style to us and they're not phased by the way we play. But part of the essence of Quinn's system is, you know, picks and handoffs and cuts and movement. And guys have got to play that with some juice. Um, and there's a few too many guys that don't, and the reason they don't is they're good. Um, there's a funny thing in this league that, it, you know, the hardest-playing players, the guys who play the hardest, if they didn't play hard, they'd go home. And then the really, really talented players probably can snake by without having to play as hard. And so you got to figure out, like, what, you know, first of all, when you're building a roster, what's better to have? <clears throat> which is a weird concept that you wouldn't always want the most talented one player. Um, and then two, you've got to just find a way either to get some of the, those guys to play harder. It's, it's, I don't know if this is the right terminology. You guys might need to help me out. I think you understand what I'm saying, but you know, when you're wildly talented, you can actually get through games without, you know, being out of breath when you come back to the huddle, you just don't have to be like that. And there needs to be a little bit more, com- you know, being out of breath coming back to the huddle. So, David, it seems like, and there was an exception in Milwaukee when the bench unit went on a run, but it seems like every time they go to the bench, they give up runs. Do you think that <clears throat> Quinn will shuffle the personnel? Do you think the front office, uh, Dennis and Justin, are looking at making moves to the trade deadline? Is it going to be like small incremental stuff to try and fix this or something bigger? Because – there just there've been a lot of runs against that bench. So this is a really really interesting, I think, debate. Um, so it's like th- there's like three pieces of this debate. So we opened up talking about how this group's got to learn how to, you know Mike's got to get comfortable and play together more and things like that. So. If you keep trying to protect the bench all the time, all you're doing is not playing your main guys together, right? Yeah, there's you know logic what I'm to saying? That. Yeah. Right? Like you're taking a Band-Aid and you're stretching it wider and wider and wider and putting it out there so that, you know, well, let's put Don. Like right now we keep putting Donovan with Emmanuel Moody in the bench unit. Well, the Jazz offensive rating with Donovan Mitchell and Emmanuel Moody on the floor together is a 99.7. So that was your team. You'd be the worst offensive team in the NBA. Okay, so that's not working. So is that the right way to spend eight of Donovan's minutes on a night? 
Like Denver's doing something really interesting. Denver's just playing their starting five, like huge minutes right now. Denver's playing their starting five, I think like 30% more than anyone else in the NBA is right now. Together as one unit. It's interesting. Like, I don't know. If you're trying to build chemistry between our main guys, should they play together more rather than trying to protect the bench? Like, are we trying to solve a problem with the bench that it's like, it's a problem. Like it's clear. It's a problem. We're like not very good in certain periods of the game, but I almost feel like, I don't know if this makes any sense. We're like stretching the problem out by trying to, by trying to take care of it. Um, I don't know the answer here. It's just, I think a really interesting debate, particularly like when it gets to like, well, what do, like if our primary thing is trying to get Mike more comfortable, then is it to put Mike with a bench unit, let him go back to being Memphis Mike and letting him shoot all the time and playing with a bunch of not very good guys and he puts the ball in his hands and he can shoot his little floater and he can do all the stuff? Or is it to have Mike play more minutes with Donovan, Boyan, and Rudy because that's the lineup that's actually going to matter? I mean, I'm almost wondering, speaking of Memphis, like go back to the Hubie Brown days where Hubie Brown used to play literally two platoon units. Whatever we just decided, so Mike's playing 30 minutes a night. Whatever we just decided that our starting five was playing 30 minutes together a night. And maybe you're changing Joe in here at times. And then you're playing, so Gobert and Donovan and Joe and Royce play an extra four to per half to get them to 34 minutes because they can all kind of play 34 and they're holding. Mike seems to, like the last five or six games, Mike's been seems to be at 30. So, okay, well, now, like, are we better off just – and then you just, like, pray for the 14 other minutes of a night. It's, like, really uncomfortable and probably would cause people great heartache. And, but is that better than stretching out your, your lineups and trying to figure – like, right now, I think we're playing the Joe and the starters with Joe, that lineup that we all thought was going to be so good this year is playing – I think has played 11% of the available minutes they could play this year. Seems low. Like the starting lineup is playing, like your starting lineup only plays 30% of your minutes. Well, like what I just proposed, you throw them out there for 32 minutes, they're now playing 67% of your minutes. I have no idea if this is right. I just think it's a really interesting debate. And watching two things that jumped out to me on this, watching Denver play 48 minutes a night, you know, or whatever. they're playing like 47% of their minutes. It's really interesting. And then just wondering how you build a team together. And then the other thing that jumped out to me on Denver um, is Denver's been the best team in the clutch for the last few years, and they play their starters a lot, and I didn't know if that mattered. So anyway, I don't know. It's an interesting debate on on what you do. I'm not smart enough to answer these questions. I just think it's worth, those are questions that are worth being asked. Well, certainly the coaching staff and the management, they're looking at all these things, too. How long do you think they need before they have answers? Great question. So, like, what's the adequate sample size? Yeah. I don't know. It's a great question. Do you think we have an adequate sample size that Emmanuel Moutier and Donovan Mitchell together as a 99.7 offensively is not worth it? Like, really? 99.7 is so bad that we could throw five guys out there and they'll get us a 99.7. I really, truly, like, I don't mean to be like, I'm not trying to be, like, I'm just trying to put it in perspective for our listener. 
Like 99.7 would be the worst offensive team in the league. There's not a team in the league that's averaging under a point of possession. So, like, and actually Donovan's, play, Donovan's numbers are better when on the floor with Emmanuel Moutier than with off the floor. So it's not like Emmanuel Moody's killing Donovan. It's just whatever about that group, you're just using Donovan's minutes there in a manner that I don't know. Well, I do know. That, yes, I think that sample size has probably gotten sufficiently high enough. I don't know the number, though. I don't know, and I really don't actually know why I just said that, PK. Like, I like to be really analytical and have a basis for everything I'm saying. I have absolutely no basis for deciding that after 17, 16 games, I think that's enough. It just feels like it is. Gut instinct, that's what he likes the best. You're going with your gut. Yeah, that's you doing, that's doing pretty well for Jim Boylan right now, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so I thought at the start of the year, if the Jazz could get through these first 20 at 12-8, and eight, uh, it be it could end up being a 55-win team. Quinn's teams usually play better the second half of the season, and teams are shutting it down the second half of the season. But you look around the West, I thought 55 would be a really big number in the West, and now I'm looking at I don't know that the West is as deep as we thought it was. The Lakers and Clippers, to me, look like they could do better than 55 wins. Maybe the Rockets or Nuggets could. Do you think the top of the West is going to break away and that we're back to having two or three elite teams as opposed to the thought that maybe we had eight teams not separated by that much? So I think we have four elite teams, which is not surprising me. I think the Jazz are the fifth. Still, I still believe we're really good. Um, just because we lost Indiana doesn't kind of spell that for me. Um, since we did that twice last year by 50 points. Um, so, and then I think, I actually think Denver will be the number one seed. Um, Dallas, I'm not sure on yet. Take a look at, I mean, you could do that really, you know, 1986, dreadful, maybe 96 sports talk radio where you go through the schedule, but both Dallas and LA have December's to remember. Um, with a tremendous amount of travel as much as opponents. So both of them have a 24-day stretch or about a 20-day stretch where they don't play back-to-back home games, which means that every game's a road game. It's kind of what we did to start the year, if you look at our schedule. Um, that's why our schedule's been a little bit more difficult than it looks like on paper. Um, so both Dallas and L.A. have kind of have brutal schedules coming up. So before I decide that I think the Lakers are way better than everyone else in the West, I would like to see them get through this next stretch. Um, I'd also like to see them have a little turmoil. Um, and then same thing with Dallas. Before I put them in the Elite Five, I think I would like to see them get through this next stretch. Um, I do think Denver really has done something pretty fabulous here to start. Their schedule gets easier as it goes on. I think they'll be the number one seed. Um, and then I think that Phoenix, Minnesota, and Sacramento are battling for the eighth seed. And if I had any more confidence in how New Orleans did things and how they run their systems. And if they have any defensive integrity as a team, I would put them in that group. But um, I'm really, having watched a lot of them recently, I'm just really disappointed with the way they play and how they play. So I think that'll prohibit them from being able to make a run for the playoffs. David Locke, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David, good to talk to you, and we will talk to you again next week. PK, what's a large enough sample size? I don't know, man. I'm thinking 30, 20, 25, 30 after Christmas. I mean, I think what's interesting about this, just to be, you really have me thinking about this, 
I actually think the question, there's two questions to it. And it's like a little bit back to, sorry, I know you guys probably have to go, but it kind of goes back to what DJ just asked too. There's two questions in that sample size. We're not doing it an infinite amount of time. So it's not like we're scientists sitting in a lab and we're going to get infinite samples and then we can decide right. at the end. There's at some point there's only 82 games. So there's only X amount of possessions by which you're going to be able to analyze these things. The second question though, is when are, what, what is the goal to be right by when? Right. So, does Quinn decide to do new things tonight and do them for two weeks to see so then he's right by January or is he trying to be right by April or is he trying to be right by February? Is he trying to be right as soon as possible? Um, I think that's really interesting. Um, you know, you'd like to be able to go get into the way it looks. You'd like to be able to go get into the top three in the, in the West so that you didn't have to play one of the elite five, but then you, Frankly, for us, you might play Dallas or Minnesota in the first round, and those with their stretch fives are two of the worst matchups we could possibly have in the playoffs. So, um, you know, it's interesting. It, I, I don't actually know whether where seeding, how seeding is going to matter. Um, I'm not sure we can beat the Clippers in the playoffs, but I kind of feel like we might be able to get the Lakers, and I'm pretty certain we could get Houston or Denver. So maybe being five is fine, and then you're really just trying to get your team ready by April. He's David Locke. He'll be thinking about all of this. We can revisit it next Friday. He'll be back with us again. Thank you, David. See you.